Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Are you familiar with the concept of a spin zone? A spin zone, and you see this a lot in politics, is when something is bad, but you kind of try to explain it in such a way where it sounds kind of good. I'm going to put my spin hat on here for a second. I'm going to try to spin the Georgia game against uh, Samford on Saturday because for a lot of people... And I listen, I totally get this. We're going to talk more about the nature of the game before the show is done today. But I totally get the idea of there is a huge sort of drop off in terms of drama and intensity. I mean, on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, one of the great tailgate scenes of all time before the game, weather cooperated with you for that. Georgia goes out there, completely throttles a relatively nationally known brand like Oregon. Like there was a lot of there's just a lot of juice flowing in Atlanta on Saturday. And for the game coming up against Sanford, you don't quite get the same thing going. But for now, like these are, you know, a part of college football. Whether they should or shouldn't be is probably a debate that's going to be had in, in future years. And as I said, we're going to hear, hear more from Kirby on that before our show's done today. But for now, these are games that are just sort of part of the college football landscape. And they typically show up in one of two places. You either play one like week two after a big non-conference neutral site game or a non-conference game of some sort to start the season. Or you sort of see them in like the final, or I should say the the next to the last, or as the fancy people would say, the penultimate uh, uh, a game of the season, like right before your rivalry game. You sort of see that FCS game sometimes there. That used to be sort of cupcake Saturday in the SEC. If you give me the choice of when to play the FCS opponent, I do think I would much rather play it like week two as opposed to whatever was that week 13 or week 12 whatever that would be that you would typically have cupcake saturday i like to play it early as opposed to late and the reason why is because even though george is only playing sanford on saturday and by the way how confusing this going to be uh Georgia the Bulldogs against Samford the Bulldogs playing a team called Samford in Sanford Stadium. Y'all, it's hard enough for me to keep track of all this stuff anyway. I, I can already tell you I'm going to be sort of confused and mispronouncing and uh, stuff like that when it comes to all those uh, wires getting crossed. But the point is, is that while you're only playing Samford on Saturday, I'm still excited because it's the home opener. And, you know, for a lot of us, we were, you know, at Sanford Stadium for G Day and before that for the parade. But, man, this is the first time to see the dogs really play an opponent other than themselves between the hedges in quite some time. And you don't get, what, six of those a year, typically speaking. So there is a degree to which I'm sort of still excited about the game on Saturday, even if I'm not all that jazzed up for the opponent. And even if the game doesn't have anywhere near the same juice that the the Oregon game would have had, you know, prior to that, there is still something to be said for what's going to take place there on Saturday and, you know, kind of looking forward to all of that. However, the other other thing that's going to go on here is is while Georgia fans going to be watching their game obviously as closely as they always do this is also one of those Saturdays I think where you have a chance to learn a little something about your competition whether it be your competition in the SEC East maybe your competition in the SEC overall maybe when it comes to the race for the national championship and returning the college football playoff Saturday is actually a pretty interesting day because of some of the other games are going to take place in fact before we kind of get too deep into the stuff going on with Georgia let me give you a little bit of what I'm guessing are going to be a lot of folks paying attention here this weekend 
in terms of who Georgia plays the following week, who it plays in future weeks, and the showdown that we know kind of always looms for UGA. Here are some of the games that matter, and I'll show you these on the screen. Obviously, the big game nationally is Alabama going to Texas. Uh, Crimson Tide, you know, heavy favorites here, of course. Uh, Longhorns in year two of Steve Sarkeesian. They desperately need something to kind of help them return to national relevance so we can do the Texas is back thing, you know, for the 80th year in a row. But all kidding aside, I mean, this is a pretty big deal. And we saw Georgia send a pretty big message with how it beat Oregon this past Saturday, 49-3 against the number 11 team in the country. It's a little bit different scenario for Alabama. They're in a true road game environment here in Austin, but it's also a chance for them to send a message by thumping Texas if they're able to do that. That's allowing them to keep pace with what Georgia did this past Saturday and, and frankly making a team like Ohio State look like an outlier of the National League because Ohio State definitely did not do that with Notre Dame. If you want to include Clemson in this conversation, while they did cover the spread last night, they spent a you know, decent amount of time last night looking pretty unimpressive. So if you're having that sort of beauty contest race among the four best teams in the country, Georgia clearly out in front in all that right now and Texas getting its first chance at a marquee opponent on Saturday in a true road environment here they get a chance to do the same kind of thing. Georgia's opponent the following week, South Carolina, also goes on the road at Arkansas. And, you know, I don't mind telling you this. I think this is a fascinating game. I really do. The The point spread I saw, you know, a little earlier, I think I saw Arkansas as like an eight-point favorite here over South Carolina. And at that spread, I'd be very careful. I really would. I think the entire world's going to line up around Arkansas for this game, and I think that's a little bit dangerous, although I'm certainly a big fan of what Sam Pittman's doing there with the uh, Razorbacks. We talked about this yesterday. This is one of those deals where South Carolina, slightly unimpressive against Georgia State, had a couple of block punts that even preserved you know the chance to have any kind of degree of beauty contest win whatsoever arkansas taking care of its business against a ranked cincinnati team on saturday be careful for the overreaction there on both those fronts and i've already told you this many times before can you imagine what if south carolina were to pull the upset now listen that's a probably not going to happen in terms of an outright win for the Gamecocks but it also wouldn't be the craziest thing to ever happen either with a guy like Spencer Rattler going on the road here South Carolina which was one of the surprise teams a year ago can you imagine the Gamecocks did pull off the upset how much bigger that make Williams Bryce Stadium for week three feel between Georgia and South Carolina I think it'd be very interesting. So at the very least, Georgia fans are going to be watching what happens there in Fayetteville. By the way, our buddy Mike Griffith is going to be on hand there at Reynolds Razorback Stadium for all of that. So that's another game that a lot of Georgia fans are going to be watching very closely. Then there are these Georgia rivals. Tennessee is going to Pitt on Saturday. And last year we saw Pitt coming to Knoxville get that win. That was just a better Pittsburgh team. That's a team that won the ACC. Had big time quarterback, first round draft pick, uh, wide receiver win the Blitnikoff Award. It's a very different pit team right now. They did win the backyard brawl last Thursday against West Virginia, but it's a little bit different kind of pit team, but they're still playing at home. And for Tennessee, who is kind of on the outside of the top 25 right now, but a lot of people believe could be a ranked opponent sooner rather than later. This would be a chance for Tennessee to send a little bit of a message that they do want to be taken seriously or you know the, the opposite of that if Tennessee can't go on the road and beat a team like Pitt right now then maybe all the chatter they earned this offseason was all for nothing it was total waste of time but one way or another if you think of Tennessee as being your biggest threat in the SEC East right now the rival most likely to potentially do you harm 
what happens against Pitt on Saturday is one worth watching. Your game against Sanford may not be all that fun, but Tennessee Pitt could be a lot of fun. I'll say the same thing about Kentucky, Florida there as well. And we told you yesterday that we thought the reaction to Florida beating Utah was laughable. It's one of the worst chapters in media overreactions in week one history. Uh, Circa, which is a sports book in Nevada, bl- briefly had Florida as a seven point favorite against Kentucky on the, you know, immediately on Sunday afternoon. This is after only being basically a three point favorite during the summer. Like after Kentucky had Chris Doring picking him to go 11 1, and uh, Vince Marrow going on Kentucky Sports Radio talking about competing with Georgia, and, you know, Will Levis being a top 10 pick, you know, suddenly. <laughs> suddenly everybody just sort of forgets about that in five minutes now has florida crowned as the uh, top 10 team because they beat utah in a game we sort of thought they were going to win the entire time anyway but the point is is that whether it be kentucky or florida two teams that georgia will eventually play that's a pretty fun game too so you got a lot going on in the sec east here this weekend and while your game ultimately probably doesn't give you a lot of intrigue boy those games i just mentioned they do give you some intrigue now it's also important to know and then when it comes to me trying to say, well, how does George compare to Alabama with Alabama playing a big marquee team? And what does the rest of the SEC East look like around Georgia right now? It's important to note that Kirby Smart ain't thinking about any of this stuff he said as much yesterday that right now he is obviously only worried about what's happening there in Athens with his own team and not even the game on Saturday but the practice is taking place later on that afternoon Kirby being Kirby with by saying exactly what you would expected him to say about all of this yesterday yeah I'm focused on us I mean I'm, I'm focused on how we can get better because we've got so many glaring things that we can improve on and uh, that's going to be critical how mature our team is to uh, to grow. Look, standards don't need motivation. So when you look at it, if, if you play to a standard, you don't need motivation from outside sources. I don't care if it's who we're playing, who we're going to play, how somebody else is playing. Standards don't need motivation. So if we're a mature team, then we'll go practice today to our standards. So let me just say this really quickly about what Kirby Smart said there. That's exactly what you'd expect him to say. But if you're a Georgia fan, I think it may also be exactly what you would want him to say is that you know you and me tailgate conversation you know know, sitting at the end of the bar conversation you know getting together you know for cookout whatever else these are the kinds of conversation we have how does georgia look in comparison to alabama how does georgia look in comparison to the rest of the sec east these are the kinds of conversations we all have but ultimately you want georgia focused on its business and that word that smart uses maturity if we're a mature team then we don't have to worry about external motivation for our standard we'll seek to sort of accomplish that standard on our own Y'all, this could be especially important this year. Georgia just played on Saturday the highest ranked team it's going to play, at least on the basis of the preseason poll. Things will change during the year to to a certain extent, but the schedule actually gets easier (laughs) after the 49-3 win, at least conceivably that Georgia might not have a lot of opportunity for external motivation. There might not be a lot of grizzly bears waiting around the corner on Georgia here this year, at least in the regular season, that Georgia may indeed have to find its own motivation. And it's going to take a certain level of maturity to do that. It's going to take a certain adherence to a standard in order to do that. So I actually like the Kirby Smarts not paying attention to the stuff that I am admittedly watching. How does Kentucky look against Florida? How does Florida look against Kentucky? How does Tennessee look on the road against an ACC team? Uh, Can Bama hang a number on Texas uh, similar to what Georgia did against Oregon? We're worried about all those things. Kirby Smart clearly isn't. His focus is where it needs to be. And focus is going to matter for Georgia because they're going to have a regular season where they very likely may remain pretty untested for for a good portion of the year, which means they're going to have to test themselves and they're going to do that at practice each and every day. 
My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., uh, the Dog Nation Facebook, YouTube, Twitter page. You can uh, find us on across all those video platforms. We appreciate that. Back on the radio today as well after the holiday uh, on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref. We're always happy about that. We're available podcast, Apple Player, Spotify, WorldFamousDogNation.com. Uh, we post the, sh- the podcast just about everywhere. I mean, we just try to make the show as accessible as possible for you, no matter which platforms you prefer. That's what we try to do here around here. And we're so thankful to our friends at Engineered Solutions of George Megan All Possible. You know, ESOG, the one to know when it comes to your foundation, waterproofing issues. Longtime uh, uh, friends of ours here at Dog Nation Daily, uh, proud partners of UGA there as well. That means if you're you know, at the game there on Saturday, you'll probably see ESOG pop up on the uh, screen there in the Sanford Stadium. They've been supporting Georgia for a long time, been supporting us here at dog nation daily for a long time there too and they're going to provide some support for you there as well they are going to provide some support for you there as well when it comes to your foundation your waterproofing needs yesterday afternoon huge storm came at my house really heavy rain there for a moment and when that rain was coming down i was thinking wow you know if you didn't have a properly sealed basement if you didn't have you know if you had some sort of waterproofing issue with your garage something like that you'd be seeing all that water creeping into your house right now and sometimes down the basement it does more than creep sometimes it's flowing and going and that's the last thing you want that's where engineered solutions of george can step in and do some great work for you or those cracks you see in the walls where you know that can be the sign of a of a real serious foundation issue and untreated over time it's going to get worse and worse and worse you already know that Well, all the more reason why you want to reach out to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. They are a solutions-based company. That means they want to fix your problem, whatever it is, big or small. And if it's small, they will gladly tell you that. They'll tell you, you can go to the hardware store and you can fix this yourself. Like, they're going to give you good news if there's good news to be had. But if the work is more substantial than that, all the more reason to have somebody like ESOG on the job because they've got a full team of engineers on staff ready to help you. There's nobody else in the market that can say they have those kinds of resources ready to put at your disposal for your issue. So give them a call 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now and check out Engineered Solutions of Georgia for your foundation and your waterproofing issues. All right, we're going to have Connor Raleigh coming by in just a moment. We're going to do a Kroger Fresh Take with him. We're going to talk more about what happened against the Oregon, what we learned from the game. I'm trying to get deeper into some of the stuff that maybe we haven't had a chance to kind of talk about yet. We're going to look ahead at what's on the horizon for UGA, FCS this week, SEC play starting after that, and just kind of some of the other stuff that's going on. We'll do more of that with Connor Riley here in just a moment. Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse, and it's presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And we obviously saw a very robust offensive performance from the dogs against Oregon. Seven consecutive offensive drives resulted in touchdowns. Georgia builds the 49-0 lead, and obviously the rest was history. And after the game on Saturday, when Smart was asked about that, it was interesting how he pivoted that conversation, really saying that this is what we want the offense to be. And there was one constituency in particular that Smart wanted to make sure saw and recognized the offensive success that George enjoyed. It's a cool thing that Smart said, and I think it does probably speak to the truth of the matter here. Listen to Kirby reacting to the playmakers that got involved, number of guys who got touches, uh, the the explosiveness that resulted in all those touchdowns and all those points. This was good stuff from Kirby Smart post game from Saturday. Take a listen to this. You take what the defense gives you, right? And uh, if, if they're willing to give you a, a chance to make make those plays and throw the ball around, I mean, we think Stetson does it well. We think we got good skill players. Um, it's 
you know, scoring points is the name of the game. So um, we want people that want to come play in this offense. And I think when you watch what they did today, if you're watching from home, they're saying, man, I'd love to play in that offense. They, they, they throw the ball around. They toss it around 30 for 37 for how many yards? I don't know. He threw the ball really well. So passes. He threw a lot of passes for a lot of yards. And uh, I think that's a credit to the offensive staff for the playing they had. So isn't that interesting? Kirby Smart says, if you're watching this game at home, you're probably saying to yourself, man, I'd love to play in that offense. Well, guess what? And you already know this. When Smart has that hypothetical conversation going on, that's not me saying that. That's not you saying that. That's four or five-star wide receiver saying that. That's big-time quarterback saying that. That's more big-time running back saying that. That's more elite tight ends like Georgia already has in the program that Smart envisions saying that. That's what Smart's really doing there. It was amazing how quickly post-game Smart pivoted that offensive performance back to recruiting because it is the one thing that if there's any substantial knock against Georgia, that's kind of what it is, right? Uh, you know, you recruit all the great defensive players, you've had great offensive linemen, you've had great running backs, but how about your skilled players offensively? How about your offensive talent overall? You know, how about Kirby Smart's the belief that some have that his desire is to score as little points as possible so that his defense can shine? That's the criticism that that's existed of smart fair or not that's been kind of out there but on saturday smart spoke directly in opposition to all that saying hey we put up big points and we wanted recruits to know this we wanted recruits to see it this was our commercial on national television for all of them to see and i would say that probably worked out pretty well in fact to kind of put a punctuation mark on this yesterday george wide receiver Kiaris jackson himself a former four-star recruit who's obviously in his senior season here at uga but he was asked about what seems to be a little bit of a transformation for Georgia offensively. They threw it a lot more than they ran it on Saturday. You know, Kenny McIntosh, the, the leading running back, had over 100 yards receiving and didn't have anywhere near that many rushing yards there on Saturday. It seemed to be a little bit of an offensive transition. Jackson kind of acknowledged some of that, but I wanted to remind you here. There's a word that last year we used going into last season. We told you, hey, if you'll hear this word being used around Georgia football, that may be all you need to know about where Georgia ultimately is heading. Well, guess what? The word that we talked about last year is the word that Kiaris also used yesterday. So let me let you hear Georgia wide receiver Kiaris Jackson following up on Kirby Smart's idea of we want recruits to notice that we're, you know, offensive exploding all over the place uh, against Oregon and listen to Jackson's own assessment of this including the word specifically that he uses I like this here's Kiaris from yesterday I know I probably recruited, I recorded that a little bit loud, so I apologize for that. But do you hear the word that he uses? He says he used the word fun, he used the word fun. And that was the word that we said going back to the past, going back to last year of, hey, as Georgia kind of continued its transformation under Todd Monk and back then it was moving into a year two. Listen for the word fun. Look for the evidence of fun. Are players smiling and laughing? Are they high-fiving? Are they dancing? Are they or are, are they are showing body language that would seem to suggest they're having fun? Are they using that word fun? Well, guess what? After Saturday, that's exactly the word that Kyrus Jackson is using. He's probably not the only one who feels that way. That Saturday did seem fun. Kirby Smart even talked about this himself, about how we notice players celebrating with each other. In a day and age in which connectedness is really important and connectedness is sort of harder to form because of the way in which 
you know, guys can just bolt out of a program very quickly if that's what they want to do. Taking extra steps to form that connectedness is really a, a crucial step for a football team right now. And devising a game plan that's fun to be a part of is probably a an easy way or an easier way to make all that happen. And on Saturday, that's really what Georgia seemed to have as it was playing against the Oregon Ducks. It was fun. The players playing in the game plan said that themselves, including Kiaris Jackson right there. And Kirby Smart says, I hope recruits noticed that. Well, my guess is they probably did. And my guess is that Georgia may reap the benefits of this in the future if they can keep playing the rest of the season the way they played against the Ducks. I, that is Around the Doghouse, and it's presented today by our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. Of course, you can check out Georgia's Own Credit Union when it comes to those Visa signatures and platinum cards right now this is one of those uh times of year where you're traveling around you're doing a bunch of stuff you're buying tickets to go to games you're buying hotels so you can go see the dogs on the road you're you know getting ready for obviously as we head towards the fall holiday season all that kind of stuff that's on its way you know this is the time of year where you just sort of spend it seems like a lot and when you spend you want to have a great way to get great benefits from the things that you're already buying that's where our friends at georgia's own credit union come in with the visa signature and platinum cards from our friends at georgia's own credit union it comes all kinds of great benefits to you first of all you make contactless payments that's convenient but you also get uh, great rewards there as well well for the things that you're already buying you can be used on merchandise or cash back or travel you can also get 150 dollars just for signing up and there's some restrictions that apply so i want you to check out the website here it's georgia's own.org for more on that it's georgia's own.org for more on that those visa signature and platinum cards a great thing from our friends at georgia's own credit union so hopefully you'll check all of that out today all right before we're done on the program we've got more here on georgia and samford including kirby smart with some really interesting ideas about whether or not this is the kind of game that Georgia ought to keep playing in the future. I thought that Smart had some interesting things to say about this. So before we're done today, we'll spend a little bit more time on that. But for now, on everything for the dogs against Oregon from Saturday, looking ahead to the future, let's do all this right now with Connor Riley as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take on Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So a lot has been said, a lot has been written. Almost every single moment of the Georgia game against Oregon dissected, and there were a lot of moments for the Dogs en route to a 49-3 win. Very impressive, about as impressive as I think you've seen Georgia being kind of one of these week one type games. Connor, I guess we haven't really heard from you on this show about any of it, though. You know, what was your overall takeaway and you know, anything else that you maybe think has not gotten the attention yet that it probably should have? Yeah, uh, one, I'd just like to say I could not have been more wrong in how I thought uh, this game would go. I, I thought Georgia would maybe play it a little bit closer to the vest, but they come out and they really just wanted to, to set the tone in terms of what I think they wanted to be this year, a team that quite frankly, is led by its offense. And when you have that and when your offense is playing that way where everything just looks so easy. You know, I turned to you when Brock Bowers had that first big catch where yeah. I, I stood there for like a solid minute. Like, I don't know how you go about covering this guy. And he might not be the only guy that you feel that way about this year. Like McConkie had a really great game. Darnell Washington, if they get the ball in his hands, is very clearly capable of making plays. Kenny McIntosh had over 100 yards receiving. That's something DeAndre Swift never did in a game at Georgia. And so when you add all that together, along with Stetson Bennett playing, you know, I think probably the best game he's ever played in a Georgia uniform, and, and you shared the comment that one of our commenters had on the first and 15 today about how well he's played in his last three games, yeah. eight touchdowns, no interceptions against Michigan, Alabama, and Oregon. Those are all teams that are going to send guys to the NFL. When you come out and play that well offensively, 
it, it very much changes the way you may you feel about this. Now I said, you know, at our Marlowe's event last Thursday, I thought Georgia was going to win the national championship this year. And I feel a lot better about that, seeing that offense play that well, as well as it did on Saturday against the Ducks. And let's say for a moment this offensive performance continues. Let's say that that Georgia is offensively what it showed against Oregon. I think there's going to be an incorrect narrative that emerges from that. And people are going to say, well, Kirby Smart finally just decided to do this. Like, like he decided this is what Georgia needed to do, and therefore he went down to the basement, flipped a switch, and that's what Georgia started doing offensively. And, Connor, I don't believe that could be any further from the truth. I think if Georgia is you know, one of the three or four best offenses in the country here this year, if they're you know, in excess of 40 points per game you know, scoring, I think it's the example of – a level of progress that's been taking place for the last couple of years. In a pandemic year of 2020, Georgia was way better on offense than had been the previous year, even though it was only playing SEC competition. That matters to me. And in last year's national championship year, they were way, way better in year two offensively under Munkin than they had been in year one. So if, if what we saw on Saturday is real, if that's a data point to match what we're about to see for the next 11 regular season games and into the postseason after that, it's simply, to me, another step in the progress that Georgia's been on. That's one of the reasons why I don't think as a fan I ever panicked when some other fans were getting panicked about what Georgia was offensively because what I saw was Georgia getting better game over game, year over year for the last couple of years. And what I saw on Saturday was simply, to me, the next step in that evolution. How would you feel about that? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And you're going to touch on this team a little bit later. But if you want to really gauge just how far and away better Georgia's offense has gotten over the course of Kirby Smart's tenure and even maybe feel better about what Georgia did offensively in 2021, look at what Clemson is doing right now and what they're probably going to end up doing this year. Because I think that defense is really, really good, probably going to end up being the best defense in college football this year with the athletes that they have in that linebacker core, that defensive front, and some pretty talented playmakers on the outside there. And that offense still gives you some pause about what you're going to see from that Clemson team and what that ceiling is this year. There wasn't that same, I I think, you know, a rational thought of that level of concern about the Georgia offense a year ago. There may have been concerns about Stetson Bennett, but there were playmakers around them uh, that, that had answered those questions more so than you'd seen about Clemson. So I, I think with Georgia, this is just a sign of, hey, you're three with Todd Munkin. You, you hear all that talk about continuity. You hear all that talk about what it meant to Stetson to finally be a starter for the season opener. And, and Saturday, he just went out there and backed it up. And, and I think to have that, along with all the weapons that they have, using them all in ways that are going to make things very difficult for defenses, and they're going to force opposing defenses to make choices. I think we saw on Saturday when Georgia was playing Oregon, Oregon made the choice of, hey, if Lad McConkie's going to beat us, Lad McConkie's going to beat us. And I think mm-hmm. that was a really poor decision that we saw from Oregon and Dan Lanning and the defensive staff there because while, yes, Lad McConkie, and I'm going to have a story on him later this week, you can make all the short, white, Bill Belichick, New England Patriot wide receiver draft jokes you want – Lad McConkie is, I think, clearly a step better than that in terms of his ability to make guys miss in the open field, in terms of the versatility and how Georgia uses him and, and what they're going to do going forward. And if they're doing that with a Lad McConkie, imagine what they're going to start doing with Brock Bowers, Darnell yeah. Washington, Adane Mitchell, who let's not forget how well he played on Saturday, making some really nice contested catches downfield. So I think when you add all of that together – you get an offense that has clearly gotten better every year under Todd Munkin, and that was an offense that I think we can say was a top-10 offense a season ago. 
it's pretty scary to envision what Georgia might be able to do over the course of a full season if they play as well as they did on Saturday. So looking forward, you got Sanford uh, this week, you got South Carolina after that, you're into SEC play, and like I'm not trying to be flippant here. I'm I'm being as sincere as I know how to. Like there's a chance that we don't have any real drama or intrigue with Georgia for months. I'm talking about months. That 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 ultimately, oh well, you don't expect much against Sanford. Like there's a chance that you don't expect much from anybody against Georgia for quite some time. And obviously, you know, Kirby can't say that, doesn't believe that. The players themselves can't say that, don't believe that. They would cringe hearing me say that. I I, I get all of that. But the reality is Georgia played what was thought to be the number eleven team in the country, just beat them forty nine to three. The schedule gets measurably easier from there. Uh, I mean, what are you looking for from Georgia in these next few weeks, including the home opener against the other Bulldogs from Sanford on Saturday? Yeah, I, I think from a from a talent standpoint, the game where I'm interested in seeing if, if they give another performance like this is the Auburn game on October 8th because I think Auburn has the defensive front where it is capable of saying, hey, Georgia, you know, yes, you're playing nine offensive linemen right now. Seven offensive linemen played more than 25 snaps on Saturday. Amarius Mims came in in the third series of the game to play that right tackle spot. They've got a defensive front that I think is capable of saying, hey, Georgia, if you're as good as you think you are offensively, you're going to need to have your ducks in a row, no pun intended there, for that game against Auburn. But after that, I mean – you know, we're going to learn a lot about Tennessee this weekend. Mm-hmm. I think Mississippi State is an interesting team yeah. with how physical they want to be on defense. And they picked up a nice win and cover against Memphis in the opening week of the season. Underdog at Arizona, I believe, on Saturday, right? But I, I do think that going forward, look, Georgia – and the reality is it, it speaks to the larger issue with college football right now that I think Georgia and Alabama are so far ahead of everyone else in terms of the raw talent that they have amassed. And Ohio State might be able to get there. I know Jackson Smith and Jigba was was out this weekend, and and their defense looked to be pretty positive against a Notre Dame team, though I have questions about that Notre Dame offense. And, And so I think with Alabama and Georgia being so far ahead, it does take some of the drama out of this Georgia season because from a, just a pure talent standpoint, if Georgia's able to overwhelm team a team like Oregon that has guys that are going to play in the NFL, true blue chippers at multiple levels, you know, how is a team like a South Carolina who, yes, they brought in a lot of transfers but didn't exactly look great against Georgia State this weekend? How, how is a Missouri team uh, that is trying to find its footing? You know, how, how is a Florida team that picked up admittedly a very nice win over Utah but how is a team like that that has recruited at a lesser level in Oregon in recent years going to stack up against Georgia? It, it certainly takes some of the drama out, which maybe some Georgia fans are okay with that and winning every game 49-3 to would be something to be celebrated. So do you put any stock into the areas on Saturday where it seemed like Georgia was less than stellar? Not a ton of rushing yards, really no pass rush to speak of whatsoever. Probably gave up more yards than maybe people realized against Oregon do you put any stock into oh even in a 49-3 game not everything was perfect like how much of a deal do you make out of those statistical categories that weren't exactly stellar for the dogs um so I don't put a lot of worry into the sacks or lack of sacks on Saturday because I think that was just wholly what Oregon wanted to do and they I think very much copied the Kentucky game plan that we saw last season And the problem with doing that is, yes, you're able to move the ball and pick up yardage, but it forces you to execute very at a very, very high level on longer sustained drives. And eventually, Georgia just has the talent there to make things difficult for you. And that's why I think when you saw Oregon 
get close to the Georgia side of the field and towards Georgia end zone, they weren't able to finish things off. I think this defense is going to remind us a lot of that 2019 defense where, you know, maybe not necessarily a, a ton of star individual performances and it's not certainly as dominant as the 2021 defense was, but it's still going to be a very, very good unit, especially in terms of preventing big plays there. Rushing-wise, I would like to see some more explosive runs in terms of, you know, 15, 20 yards. I think the longest rush they had on Saturday was maybe 12 yards. But I will say I was very encouraged with what I saw from the perimeter blocking of guys like not just Brock Bowers and Donnell Washington, but Adane Mitchell on that Lad McConkie touchdown really burying his defender. You know, you think back to that DeAndre Swift uh, long run against Kentucky in 2018 where Jeremiah Holloman is blocking his cornerback 15, 20, 35 yards down the field. If I'm seeing that from this wide receivers yeah. and from these tight ends and we're getting that level of downfield blocking consistently, I do think the explosive runs are going to be there. I would just like to see them a little bit more frequently. But when you're throwing the ball as well as George is and you're having seven different receivers record a catch of 20 yards or more, it's hard to really nitpick what they're doing on offense, specifically with the running game, especially when Georgia still averaged 5.3 yards per carry on Saturday. And on that one McConkie touchdown, you know, I made a big deal of what Brock Bowers did on that play because I thought he really trucked to do to kind of open it up for uh, McConkie. And I put that on Twitter, had a bunch of Georgia fans come back to me and like, yeah, but did you see what, La- what, uh, what AD Mitchell did in the back of the end zone on that same play? And, you know, Connor, I know this sounds sort of corny or whatever else, but like, like this really is working like what Kirby has wanted these guys to do which is obviously get some glory obviously get some touchdowns obviously have some success but when it's not your turn we want you blocking for the other guy it seems like they're buying in Pickens is doing this in the NFL now at least he was you know throughout the preseason like as as corny as it kind of sometimes feels about you know oh Kirby wants his wide receivers to block these guys are blocking and it's really you know it's really working and they still do it when they go onto the NFL at least that's what appears to be the case yeah, and we talked about this yesterday with Kyrus Jackson and Tate Ratledge, and on the A.D. Mitchell block, uh, Tate Ratledge told us that uh, if A.D. keeps blocking like that, they're going to move A.D. to the offensive <laughs> line room with how well he had played there. And, you know, Kyrus Jackson, he attributed it to Brian McClendon and sort of the, uh, the intensity that he brings to that room in, in saying, you know, in plays – Look, if the play ends and you don't have your hands on your guy, that's considered a loaf under Brian McClendon, and that's not giving high Mm. energy. And so I I think with him coming in, there's been a re-emphasis on the importance of that downfield blocking. And and I think you saw the benefits of that on Saturday, and I think you're going to see that throughout the course of the season. And then, you know, so many fans worry, oh, well, I didn't come here to block. You think wide receivers are going to say that. Yeah. Adonai Mitchell came here to block, and then he also came here to catch touchdowns over Christian Gonzalez, a guy who's going to be maybe potentially a first-round draft pick, and and made countless catches downfield. Kyrus Jackson caught all three of his passes intended for him and looked sharp. Lad McConkey five catches for 73 yards. Uh, They're going to be able to mix and match and attack defenses in so many different ways. Where, yes, you know, the tight ends, Darnell and Brock only had four catches for 71 yards on Saturday. And it's kind of funny that we're saying that now, like, four catches for 71 yards. Like, oh, Georgia's tight ends, we would have liked to see them get a little bit more involved when, like, two years ago, That's three right. years ago, in the early stages of the Kirby Smart era, we would have killed when Isaac Nada was here for a four-catch 71-yard performance. That's so, right. I think you're going to see from game to game, you're going to have, hey, today's an Adonai Mitchell game. Uh, next game, it's Kyrus Jackson game. Then it's the Brock Bowers game, the Darnell Washington game. They have so many guys that they're able to beat you with where Saturday was a Kenny McIntosh and Lad McConkey game. 
And the fact that they're going to be able to do that across the course of the season is why I think the ceiling is so incredibly high for this offense. I want to ask you about some of the other stuff happening from week one. Before that, though, let me remind people this is our Kroger kickoff. Not Kroger kickoff. That's on Saturdays. Uh, boy, there's a lot going on around. Uh, Kroger kickoff. We'll see you every Saturday for that. This is our Kroger fresh take. <laughs> I couldn't remember what we call this for a second. This is our Kroger fresh take with Connor Riley here each and every Tuesday. Here's one thing I do know about, and I can say this accurately. When you become a member of Kroger Boost, a great membership opportunity with our friends at Kroger, you're going to get lots of benefits for doing that. You're going to get free grocery delivery. You're going to get twice the fuel points, all kinds of other cool stuff there as well. And it only costs as little as $59 a year to enroll. So check out Kroger.com slash boost for a lot more on that. That's Kroger.com slash boost. Everybody wants to save the fuel pumps. The extra uh, uh, fuel point savings give you a chance to do that. Who wouldn't love to get some free grocery delivery? That's part of all this there as well. So go to Kroger.com slash boost and find out about all of that. Hope you'll check that out today. So, Connor, Georgia, obviously, I I thought was the headline performance from week one uh, with how it handled Oregon. But what else jumped out to you, whether it be LSU being the only SEC team to lose, whether it be the rock fight between Ohio State and Notre Dame? What was significant for you about what else happened around the country over the course of, was it five straight days uh, of games? What jumped out at you? Yeah, I mean, it's maybe it's because it's freshest on my mind, and I did give it out as a best bet, and they did go on to cover uh, Clemson. Clemson's going to be just fine. I know there's a lot of hand-wringing about that offense and the way they looked and the way they sort of played with their food for Georgia Tech for three quarters last night. I think that defense is really good. Those linebackers are fast. They've got a really strong defensive line. And I think eventually, you know, I was not impressed with DJ Uyongle last night. I think eventually Clemson sort of knows they're going to have to make the change to Cade Klubnik. And and I don't want to overemphasize what he did on his one drive last night where Georgia Tech clearly laid down. And I think that's going to be a theme you see from the Yellow Jackets this season uh, under Jeff Collins. You saw it at the end of last year. Uh, I I do think ultimately that they're going to move on from DJ Uyunglele. And I would say I came away more impressed with Clemson in week one than I had been going in. And I thought Clemson was going to be a playoff team. Uh, I, I think Florida beating Utah Obviously, you touched on this. It's not as significant as some people make right. it out to be because, while yes, I do think it's a very nice win. The goal was never to, hey, we just got to beat Utah and our, and our September is gravy. No, what Florida needs to do now, they need to go out and respond because they're going to play Kentucky this week, and those are two tough teams to play back-to-back because of how physical they're going to be there. And, and so I'm really interested in seeing how Florida responds. The Tennessee-Pitt game, I mean, you and I were texting about this on Sunday I think the line is now up to Tennessee minus seven at Pittsburgh and Pitt's Pitt's ranked. Tennessee might end up being ranked, but you rarely see a road team coming in being that favored over a Pitt team that did some nice things week one against West Virginia there. So I'm fascinated in how that goes. It's not necessarily a great slate this weekend, but if you're like a real true diehard college football fan, there's a lot of really interesting games out there. You go, hmm. This might say something, you know, Arkansas, South Carolina, I think is a classic example of that, where that's not, you know, everyone is going to talk about Alabama, Texas, but that's not really the game that's going to tell you a whole lot about college football this weekend. Whereas, you know, Tennessee Pitt, Arkansas, South Carolina, even Kentucky and Florida there. I think those types of games are really going to say a lot more about what Georgia's schedule ultimately ends up looking like this season and how difficult it ends up being. Yeah, two quick things here. I think if you're a Georgia fan in particular, the weekend is interesting for you for kind of the, the reasons that I mentioned off the top of the show. And, Connor, I'm curious if this will end on this. Do you think that 
Georgia fans will root for South Carolina on Saturday to make the game in Columbia seem bigger? Do Georgia fans care about that? Because typically speaking, Georgia fans would root for Pittman because everybody still still likes Pittman. I, I know that I find myself cheering pretty openly for Arkansas on most Saturdays. But do you think for the idea of, hey, making it feel bigger, you know, more attention around the game, is there a part of Georgia fans that if they get – you know, um, a South Carolina win on Saturday might be a little happy about the fact that that game might have a little extra juice going into uh, williams Bryce the following Saturday? I'm sure there are fans out there that maybe think that way, but I'm choosing at large to, I know I'm going to quote one of your, uh, your favorite shows here, it's the Mad Men elevator scene where, you know, South Carolina, they're like, it must really stink to be you. Uh, and Don Draper as Georgia is just going to turn to him and say, I don't think about you at all. Great I don't line. think Georgia fans right now are thinking about South Carolina at all. Not necessarily in a bad way. They're going to obviously be prepared, be prepared when they go out there and play yeah. them, and I think Georgia's going to win that game. But Georgia's clearly, I think, after that week one game against Oregon is operating on such a higher level that you know they're not necessarily going to be bogged down with, oh, we got to find a way to be a, beat and blow out South Carolina. I think there's now been this expectation that's been created that, yeah, Georgia is talented enough no matter who they're playing on a week-in, week-out basis, they're not going to think at all about who they're playing. They're playing a sort of nameless, faceless opponent. They're playing themselves and playing to the standard that they want to set on a week-in, week-out basis, and I think you're going to see them continue to do that throughout the course of the season. I think that's well said. Connor, thanks for being here as part of our Kroger Fresh Take here today. I know you've got a lot of coverage coming from Athens later on this evening. We'll hear from Kirby Smart again and some more Georgia players, and so you'll be all over all of that, and we'll, of course, hear from you back here on Dog Nation Daily and our Kroger Fresh Take again very soon. Yep, as always, was a pleasure. Thanks, B.A. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, really interesting stuff there from Connor Riley. Appreciate that. Always happy to have him part of the program and also happy to have our friends at Royal Caribbean on board here there as well because it's time to go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and time to remind you about something you already know about, a great return to the high seas for a dog nation later on this spring with our second ever cruise with Dog Nation on board Independence of the Seas. You can go to royaldogs.com. That's a website you can go to to find out more about that, the actual cruise itself. And we're going to be on Independence of the Seas. It's a four-night cruise. We're going to go to NASA on the Bahamas. We're going to go to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. We're going to have an unbelievable experience. And we hope you're going to be there for that. We've already had a lot of folks have signed up to be a part of this. Our good friend Jessica Slater from Dream Vacations helping us out with this. You can check her out, dreamvacations.com slash Slater. That's dreamvacations.com slash Slater. You can also give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And if you're like me hey you're not just waiting till next spring to book your next royal caribbean cruise you're going to book a couple prior to that i've got one coming in december i've got a seven night cruise coming up in february and of course i've got the cruise with dog nation coming up in april so i'm all over all of it we'll be telling you a lot more about the uh, dog nation cruise as we get closer to it but for now you just need to find out you know how to get on board and that's what our friend jessica slater is going to help you do so dreamvacations.com slash jay slater for a lot more on that or give her a call 770-718-9147 so last night was clemson georgia tech and it's amazing we're gonna do some of this for a golden shoe later on the overall pageantry around the game so different than it was on saturday when georgia was facing oregon but we're kind of expecting that we sort of understand that but trying to make sense of the game itself and it's another example of these sort of crazy overreactions uh, i didn't think play i didn't think tech played terribly i heard somebody on a kind of out of market radio station today is like 
I wish I'd taken Tech in the over in terms of their season win total based on the fact that they kept it briefly closed for a few minutes against Clemson. I think that's a you know dramatic overreaction. Look, you've heard me to say this before. Most coaches are not idiots. Coaches know when they have no chance of winning a game. Jeff Collins last night, he may be dumb, but he's not stupid. He knew he had no chance of winning this game. In fact, he gave you all the indication you need to know of that when he when he's not using his first half timeouts. He's taking the 10 second run. You know, when he's when he's letting the first half essentially come to a close because he doesn't want to do anything that risks Clemson getting more points there at the end of that first half, even when he's the one that's got the football. Like he's just not he's just not going to do that. Like national TV coaches don't want to be embarrassed. Cle- uh, you know, Tech was coaching last night as a way of hopefully avoiding embarrassment. They still end up kind of, you know, taking on the chin in terms of the final score, but keeping it somewhat close there for a while, especially against a scuffling Clemson offense. That's just kind of what Tech was trying to do last evening, and it almost worked. It's a little bit like what Notre Dame was trying to do uh, against Ohio State. When you know you can't win, you coach to keep it close. At least oftentimes coaches will do that. And that's what kind of happened in that sort of national telecast last night. I thought it was a huge overreaction against Clemson and their offensive issues. Yes, they're not very good offensively. DJ Uyunglele is thinner, lighter than he was last year. He's running better. He's still not throwing the ball much better. And this is that classic thing that we've talked about. Dabo Swinney spent a lot of the offseason really talking up DJ. And I told you. As a Georgia fan, I, I go back to, like, say, when Jacob Eason was a freshman here in 2016. It was a kind of a rough year for Georgia all the way around, uh, which is, you know, we, a lot of you have memories of that. But I remember sometimes when when Kirby would start, like, talking really nice about Eason, and I don't mean to pick on Eason, this is just the truth, when we talk really nice about him, I would be left thinking, well, gosh, given how hard-driving Kirby is, if he's being that light on Eason, if he's trying to build up his confidence that much, gosh, there's no telling how much he must be struggling in practice. If he feels like he needs that much of a boost in terms of the overall confidence, sometimes I have a tendency to think a coach means the opposite of what he says, what he's currently saying. And some of this offseason stuff, when, when Dabo was really coming to the defense of DJ and really giving him a lot of praise, there was a part of me that was sort of like, man, if he's praising him this much, he must be really worried about him. Otherwise, you know, he wouldn't feel the need to be out there so much on this. And last night, I think, was an example of that, that Uwe young is just really struggling. However, it is incredibly valuable to have a side of the ball that has the potential of being elite and for clemson on defense that's once again true brian brzee is back healthy again kj henry was obviously after the quarterback in the backfield all night long last night but trent simpson was making some plays at linebacker this is still a clemson defense and that's quite a commodity to have in store for you so in terms of like eliminating clemson for the national conversation i don't think last night's game should have done that they're not very good offensively and clearly there's a chasm between them at four and where Georgia is at three, I wouldn't deny that. But in terms of still being a pretty tough out and a pretty tough team to play, um, yeah, I, th- I think that I think that Clemson is still a factor because of how good they are on defense. In fact, the team that's rated ahead of Georgia, Ohio State, did I think that Ohio State looked better in beating Notre Dame than Clemson looked in beating Georgia Tech? I actually didn't. I actually didn't. So. There are a lot of people today who seem to want to throw Clemson out with the bathwater because of the struggles of DJ Uyunglele. I get where that's coming from. I think that's a week one overreaction. There are a lot of those. Uh, I'm not quite done with Clemson yet. I think that defense makes them a real dangerous type team. Speaking of week one overreactions, another game where you had the potential for that's the LSU-Florida State game. LSU, the only SEC team to lose over the weekend. I think of all the results we saw, the one that's potentially the most telling is what happened to LSU. Part of this is because of the fact that 
as we mentioned yesterday, Brian Kelly has a little bit of an issue with his best overall player. That's Keyshawn Boutte, his wide receiver, who looked disinterested, who was not involved in the game plan seemingly certainly was not buying into the the game plan itself it seemed like like that's one of those things you gotta be really careful with lsu also looks sloppy and sort of disorganized which is actually not all that far off the pace what lsu has been a lot the last couple of years but that's not typically what brian kelly teams have looked like in this same spot so to me that's a little bit concerning and then to add to that mason smith who is a top level player and when he was healthy briefly on sunday night was showing you that um now he's injured and appears to be out for the year and you saw him leave that game with injury so lsu looked sloppy best player seemingly disinterested now i'd say your best defensive player you've just now lost him for the season so that's not a good sign for lsu if you were thinking about them kind of an over six and a half or seven wherever you might have gotten that oh boy i don't know how i'd feel about that right now on the basis of what you saw on sunday and now this crucial injury to one of their key defensive linemen i would i would be a little bit concerned about all of that as far as some of the big games of the upcoming weekend we talked a little bit earlier about bama at texas they are a 20 point favorite right now in austin in this game there on saturday uh you know i saw where arkansas is an eight point favorite against south carolina that's actually up to eight and a half now i think the entire world's going to be lining up on arkansas here and i'd be just really careful and y'all know i like arkansas i think they got you know the best pair of coordinators outside georgia probably in the sec uh i think this is a pretty sharp team but I'd be careful with eight and a half. That seems like a lot of points and also a little bit of a uh, of a ding against South Carolina because of what happened against Georgia State. Uh, Wake Forest is an eight point favorite uh, at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, of course, two and zero. I don't know when the last time they were two and zero was. But that's actually a semi interesting game as Vandy tries to find its third win to begin the season. Likely not to get it, but 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 nonetheless, Tennessee is a full seven point favorite right now on the road at Pitt, according to our friends at my bookie. That's pretty wild there as well. And as you've heard me say before, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The best time to bet Kentucky against Florida was Sunday afternoon because you could have briefly found it at seven at some places. It's kind of settled back down now a little bit more like where maybe it should be. Uh, my bookie's got Florida right now as a four and a half point favorite against Kentucky. You could have found it at three during the summer. So this is still a little bit of an overreaction. I think Kentucky still sort of feels like the right side here, uh, plus the points for now. But I mean, how about the crazy? I mean, just crazy overreaction earlier uh, with uh, you know a little bit of Sunday action. You could have maybe found this somewhere about seven points for the Gators. So interesting home start for Florida with Utah, with Kentucky coming in. We told you about this before the year began. This would be a little bit of a uh, of a high energy portion of the season for florida and we'll see if they can stand up against a team that's had some success against them in recent years it will make that cruise and run the sec courtesy of royal crib and we'll also look more at our my bookie best bets officially tomorrow we'll make our picks on go with the flow presented by rs andrews you'll see that friday night on the dog nation video channels and we'll have a lot of fun getting ready for week two in college football that also includes georgia against samford more on that game coming up in a moment for, for right now here on dog nation daily also we give a shout out to our friends at the durham law group the uh, personal injury attorneys because if you've been injured in an accident or hurt on the job the durham law group doesn't just practice law they define it uh, no fees or expenses unless you win that's the way they want to step up and support you right now so make sure you give them a call today for more information on what they can do for you for the personal injury situation you might be facing 
you've been hurt in an accident or hurt at work, someone like that, the Durham Law Group wants to do some good things for you. So give them a call, 844-GA-HURT. That's 844-4-GA-HURT. Let me do that one more time. 844-4-GA-HURT. That's the phone number. You can also visit them online at georgiahurt.com. That's georgiahurt.com for more on the Durham Law Group. All right, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, I want to turn our attention back fully for a moment to Georgia and Sanford on Saturday. And yesterday, Kirby Smart was asked a direct question. He was asked about the nature of teams like Georgia playing teams from the FCS, like Sanford is, although last year they gave Florida everything they wanted, but still, they're an FCS team, and about whether or not in future years, with the SEC expanding, with the playoff expanding, with Georgia pushing boundaries in terms of the kinds of non-conference opponents it's scheduled, does Kirby still want to keep playing these games? And I thought that Kirby did a really good job yesterday of being as honest as I believe anyone's capable of being, both in terms of how it benefits football for these games to take place, and how smart certainly acknowledges that he's not quite so sure it benefits Georgia in the future. This is as real as it gets. And if you care about like football beyond just your favorite team, I think this is the kind of thing that matters. So I, I at least want to spend a couple of seconds on this here today. Georgia playing the FCS opponent. Is this good for football? Is this good for Georgia? Will it keep happening in the future? Very honest talk from Kirby. Take a listen to this. I think it depends on where it goes, um, what they require you to do, and, and where the, the FCS, some of those conferences end up uh, with the realignment and some of the things. It's going to depend a lot on what you talked about, the scheduling model of how many conference games you're playing. Um, I do know that it's critical for these programs to be able to survive. And look, high schools are our feeder programs, just like we are for the NFL. And if you're going to have good high school programs, you got to have kids getting opportunities to play at all levels because there's a lot more kids playing at a non-Power 5 level than at the Power 5 level. So if you're a supplier of talent and the growth of the game comes from your youth sports and your high school sports, you're going to diminish that as these programs fade away. And some of these programs cannot, cannot survive without these games. That doesn't mean that I embrace them and love them. It just means that their programs can't survive uh, without, these, without these kind of funding, without these games. So I want to be really honest here for a moment. I've always been a big believer that these types of games should not take place, that it's a mockery, I think, of competition for a team like Georgia to be playing a team like Sanford. I don't just mean that to pick on Georgia. All the big teams, for the most part, do this. I just think it's a mockery of competition to have this much of an imbalance between the teams that are playing. And I still sort of feel that way. I liked it in 2020 when these kinds of games didn't take place, even though it was for a bad reason, pandemic-related. Uh, I was still glad that Georgia wasn't playing you know, lower than power five level competition. I just don't think teams like Georgia should be doing that. But I also love high school football. And I think what Kirby Smart saying there is really important that the kinds of recruits that we talk about on a show like this are the total outliers. You know, it's five star this or four star that top 100 rated this guy. And in this day and age, you know, that guy's getting NIL money, potentially. That guy's got a million suitors. That guy's getting big media attention for his commitment announcement. And I think there's a tendency to sort of think, well, that's just what recruiting is. It's sometimes what's described, I think unfairly, but sometimes described as all oh, these entitled kids and all these adults are falling all over themselves to give them whatever they want. Like, I don't think that's a fair description, but that's sometimes what people say. However, even if that were the accurate description, y'all, that's like 50 recruits in the entire country. That's like 75 recruits in the entire country. That's a small percentage 
of the players playing high school football who want to play college football. The average high school player aspiring to play in college is not doing hat show for a, for a commitment announcement and is not cashing an IL check. What they are is begging for an opportunity. They are begging to be noticed. And there are a lot of kids in Georgia, and I do these games each and every week on Peachtree TV. Uh, there are a lot of kids in Georgia who are putting up big numbers and they're working hard week after week, year after year, and they just want a school to notice them. And the FCS to get an offer from a place like Sanford would be a dream come true for so many of the players that I meet and talk to, the families of those players that I meet and talk to. It'd be a dream come true for them. And so if Sanford went away because it couldn't pay its bills anymore, then that's fewer high school kids that I get to know and see playing on Friday nights get a chance to kind of further their football career moving forward. So that doesn't seem like a good thing. So I think when you listen to Kirby Smart talk here, I think the conclusion you make is that there are no easy answers. Should Georgia play, be playing Sanford? I don't think they probably should. But when Georgia does, it funds the Sanford program, allows it to survive. And without that money, I don't really know Sanford's finances, but I'm guessing it's like a lot of FCS schools. Without the money they get from the guaranteed games, the, what they call the buy games, or you get money for coming to Athens, without that money, I'm guessing they probably couldn't meet their budget. And if they were to go away, that's, you know, what, 80 something scholarships, 85 scholarships uh, that disappear off the landscape that kids in Georgia would have a right to earn. And I think that's a really good thing. So Georgia playing these games, not a good thing. Schools like Sanford continue to exist and provide an education, a football opportunity for high school players. I do think that's a good thing. How do you reconcile the two? I have no idea. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But I think that Kirby Smart did a pretty good job of sort of laying out the full scenario there on all of that. Now, speaking of full scenarios, the Braves got a big scenario ahead of it as they move towards the month of September. And they need you there to support their drive for a fifth consecutive National League East Championships, the drive for five here for the Braves. Big homestand coming up in the month of September. Need you there forward as the Philadelphia Phillies and the Washington Nationals come in September the 16th to the 21st. We've loved these Braves this year because of all the new faces that have kind of popped up. Michael Harris II, Vaughn Grissom, obviously Spencer Strider, kind of joining in on what has already been the world champs. But some of the new faces have made this season, I believe, particularly fun. So as the Braves make that push towards the postseason, as we continue to root against the Mets, well, we need you at Truist Park to be able to do that. Also, don't forget, coming up on Tuesday, September 20th, in addition to the uh, Braves and their battle for a fifth consecutive division title, how about the first 15,000 fans there that day receiving a Ron Washington windmill bobblehead? You know, Wash, when the uh, he's the third base coach, runner coming around third, he's giving you that wind up to send you home. Uh, that's what the bobblehead's actually doing for uh, Washington there. That's a great. Uh, that's a great bobblehead. The arm actually spins on this. I definitely would like to have one of those. So make sure you uh, stop by and get all of that. Go to Braves.com slash tickets for more information. That is Braves.com slash tickets. And you can be in Truist Park for the stretch run here as the Braves try to knock off the Mets in the division once again, take it on the Nationals, take it on the Phillies, and making a big push towards the postseason once again. Braves.com slash tickets for a lot more on that. All right, speaking of last night between Clemson and Georgia Tech, our, our good friend Matt Rukavina had a funny one that we'll share here. We'll give him a golden shoe here today. Let me show you this on the screen. Matt kind of pointing out the uh, TV shot there last night. He writes in to say, can we give ourselves the golden shoe for not having an embarrassingly bad turnout for a team from Atlanta and another squad that considers itself a, quote, national power that's just 90 minutes away? 
are they even at half capacity? So last night, you see the look there, if you're watching a video, is Dave Pash and Dusty Dvorak give you the uh, action prior to the game. They intentionally did not sell the tickets in the upper level. I believe that was a contractual thing involving Georgia Tech, if I understand correctly. But in the lower bowl area, you've got some empty seats there, too. So not a great showing on a Monday night, although admittedly, that's a pretty late night, knowing you had to work the next day. But Dog in Houston is certainly correct about all that. So we'll make him a golden shoe winner for today. Lousy, stinking Gators will also remind you, long national title drought for them. How about 4,989 days? And our Gator hater countdown. Dogs back in Jacksonville, beating up on those lousy, stinking Gators again, 53 days from right now. You can check that out. And, of course, our friends at 7-6 Apparel got you the Southern Fried Duck t-shirt. You can check that out. And one more thing. You can go to dognation.com right now. Eddie the Blind Squirrel t-shirts, they're there as well. So if you love our Gator Hater Countdown, if you love Eddie, you can show that off by getting yourself a Eddie t-shirt right there at the top of the page at dognation.com. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by engineered solutions of Georgia.